Check, check. There we go. Yes, there we are. You see? Quickly solved, ladies and gentlemen. Quickly solved. Okay. How are you, everybody? My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Luke Thomas Live Chat. I'm the host of the Luke Thomas Show on Sirius XM Fi Nation Channel 156. Yes, indeed, I am. Let's see. What else am I? Um, okay. I am the host of uh, Morning... We're one of the hosts of Morning Combat on uh, Showtime Digital. Um, I am... Yeah, that's it. I'm the host of this live chat as well. We're going to go for about an hour today answering all of your questions about what is happening in the sport. Without further ado, let's get things going, shall we? All right. So, by the way, I, the reason for the microphone switch is because I, had a, I, have, I now have two computers here. I have two monitors attached to my PC. I now have a Mac desktop here um, that I kind of inherited. So I actually had the, the microphone plugged into that because I was doing work on that this morning because my radio show is not live anymore. So it's essentially turned into a podcast. And so I had to put it on that one, then I just put it back here. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, okay, please give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. Sorry about the early tech difficulties. Uh, I was actually going to say today I wanted to up the ante a little bit um, because now I can actually play desktop audio, and it can come through and pipe through into your ears. So if there's any audio clips you want me to like react to, I could do that. Um, we'll see how that goes. I don't know what the plan is for that. But in any event... I also just realized that uh, I was supposed to turn the, the uh, donations off, and I didn't. So that sucks. Um, all right, well, then I guess I'm two down. So I guess I'm going to have to do both of them next week with none of them. So sorry about that. That is my mistake. My bad. Um, okay. With that in mind, let's get things going, shall we? I'll see your questions here. I will hit refresh. And we will get going. Bump, bada, bump, 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 bump. Okay. Luke, big fan. Uh, also a healthcare provider, this person writes. With the pandemic, one of the aspects that I find being somewhat understandable overshadowed is the impact, so, somewhat understandably overshadowed is the impact of everyone's mental health. From relatively insignificant losses like the shutdown of MMA and other sports to more significant ones like financial instability, Loss of jobs and illness and death of loved ones. How do you foresee the mental health problems worsening, changing across the globe? Boy, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually had a, an expert on my radio show today. He's a professor of epidemiology at Yale University. His name is Kaveh, um, God, how do you pronounce his last name? Husnud? Husnud? Something like that? Kosnud? He's an Iranian guy who grew up in, um, let's see, what's his name again? I want to make sure I got this right. Yeah, Kaveh Hosnud, who's a Yale epidemiologist. I spoke to him today. He covers this th this very topic uh, exactly. And basically, he made two points. One, you know, we saw yesterday that the governor of California is going to keep 40 million people, not quarantined, because you can still go for a walk and other things, but under pretty strict guidelines about what you can and can't do in terms of um, your personal space and moving around and things like that. So that's one. The second one, um, uh, or that, well, his point was, you can do stuff like that, but you can do it only for a short time. Quarantining for a very short time and then social distancing, it can't be a prolonged strategy. Now, that doesn't mean that the government won't do that, but he's saying like when it's effective is that, you know, 
it could go on for a few more weeks and that there could be some kind of tailored um, episode where your your you know bars and restaurants still might be closed but people can get more together like you you don't keep such a grip on it but it has to be in other words this point is it has to be short lived um and then two the things you had mentioned were were you know let's for, take for example financial instability uh professor cost nudes uh point was any kind of instability in people's lives like this where they don't have the you know even just from like they can't hug their and see their parents like the emotional affirmation social connectivity, financial instability. These are all things that have been taken away. The government has to step in. Of course, they cannot provide you you know, emotional um, affirmation, but what they can do is provide financial stability, which could, of course, to a degree, lend peace of mind. So we said that there has to be this, uh, whatever measures you take, draconian or otherwise, to combat some of these problems, you have to then, on the other end, make sure that Small businesses can get loans. Large businesses, if they need bailouts, can get them. Individual people can rely on a paycheck that will keep the lights on. Whether student debt will be frozen temporarily, mortgages and rents not being collected, any number of different things. All of these things uh, will, will be will be affected. So, And then, of course, just because you're socially distant doesn't mean you should be socially isolated. right? Ways in which you can interact with other people, however limited, should still be done. And uh, he also said, you know, exercise. Exercise is really good for mental health. So take all of those into consideration. Do you think uh, most people that have to stay home are realizing that the majority of their work and career is not needed or productive addition to society? Obviously, here I am touching my face. But I've been washing my hands like crazy. I haven't left the house in days. Obviously not, well, I guess I walked around the neighborhood yesterday, but whatever. Uh, obviously not everyone, just those in the business that struggle as they provide an unnecessary luxury, not an essential services, arts, sciences included. Well, I mean, you can make an argument about what is and is not essential um, to a flourish, to human flourishing. So when you mean essential, you mean like, for example, you saw the Cage Warriors pr uh, president, Graham Boylan, I think is his name, making this like ludicrous argument. Um, well, you know, there's people riding the tube, and if you've never been to London, that's what they call their, their subway, their, they call it the tube. He's like, well, people are still riding the tube, you know, uh, and we're in compliance with the government. And it's like, let me get this straight. You're comparing a city the size of London maintaining bus rides and other forms of public transit, what would be described as the literal definition of essential services for municipal functioning, on par with cage fights? I mean, what an absurd, what an absurd argument that is. Just ridiculous. Totally, flatly ridiculous. So, so no, I, I, it's just kind of silly. But to your point being is you can get to a real technocratic, uh, you know, uh, wormhole um, about what is essential. Like, well, what's essential to live? I guess water, you know, uh, food enough to live. But this is not, I mean, that's not really living. That's just sort of not you're 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 technically not dead, but this is there's no flourishing there at all. And so um, that that's, that's probably perhaps its most critical component. And then there's sort of a concentric ring of things that are essential beyond it. I mean, look, what do I do? Is that a, is that a, is this what I'm doing right now essential? There's nothing essential, but to the extent that people provide value in it, they'll let you know about it. To the extent that they're um, uh, so one that speaks to the different value systems that everyone employs. I think two. Plenty of life's features are things that um, 
are some of the most delightful things in life are not essential. Um, they're the, they're the, they're the rare things. They're the unusual things, the surprising things, things that are hard to come by, sometimes serendipity. They still, they still color your life. They still carry great significance, but they're not really essential for some kind of biological existence. So, you know, in realizing what I do, is there anything essential about it in the way in which I think you're suggesting? No, what I do is utterly worthless in that regard, truly worthless in that regard. But I think trying to have this community, uh, and, and, I, and I stand in, you know, in relationship to my other media members here, people like mixed martial arts, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a global community for it. And so as a consequence, people want content related to it, especially in a downturn. People want to have a community to meet with other people, to talk about it with, to, to debate, to disagree, disagree with me, agree with me, all those things. And so in that sense, in the way in which people live their lives and the value systems that they create and the, and the ways in which they take it all on, there is a value there. There is a value to that particular regard. So always be careful about what you mean. I mean, do you want to live in a world without the arts? I mean, Jesus Christ, I certainly would not. You couldn't, no music, no movies, no. I mean, these are the things that give, that give life its shine. You know, is it essential for a living? No. But what a hellish existence without it. Uh, by the way, what are they saying here? What are they saying on my phone? Uh, okay. All right. Glory versus UFC. Muay Thai rules. Well, Glory is not Muay Thai. With MMA gloves. Who wins? Rico Verhoeven versus John Jones at heavyweight. Well, just guessing here. I'll guess Rico. Batterhari versus Francis and Ganu. You know, batter could easily knock him out. Uh, I'd say batter, but you know, that's debatable. The gentleman who knocked out Stylebender, Alex Poetan Pereira versus Stylebender. I'll go Poetan. Cedric Dumbe versus Jorge Masvidal. I'm a little bit out of my kickboxing, folks, so I'll slide with the kickboxer there. And then Marat Gregorian versus Conor McGregor, 155. Um, you know, Conor might get lucky there. You never know. I mean, these, are hard, these are impossible questions to answer. Please share the highs and lows of your MMA betting history. I've done very little. I've done very little. I don't really care about MMA betting at all. I, I mean, I've won some money here or there. Um, nothing. I've never bet more than 10 or 20 bucks. And in part because I realized just doing predictions all these many years that they, they're hard to do generally. I am not especially good at them. And... That's just a hard way to make money, man. It's a really, you have to watch a lot of film, and you have to really kind of understand what people are up against, and you have to kind of know how to bet against the odds. It's just a lot of work. So if you guys like it, I'm not here to take it away, obviously, but it's not for me. Do you think postponing Khabib versus Ferguson would be a good business decision for the UFC, or do you think Dana would do anything to make sure he doesn't have to book this fight a sixth time? Well, I think it's a decision that's going to be made for him here sooner or later. The one never knows. But um, do you think postponing Khabib versus Ferguson would be a good business decision for the UFC? Um, well, look, in fairness to UFC, they're dealing with a ton of uncertainty about all of this. Based on every conversation I've had, I've had now three conversations with epidemiologists and public health officials. And they all kind of tell me a three to six month window of returning to some kind of normalcy, which isn't to say we're all going to live inside for six months, but rather... 
there's just so many unknowns. Does some the vaccine seems like none none of them think a vaccine is going to be readily deployed, but some kind of treatment. I've seen some uh, I've seen some work in France and China to that effect with some old malarial drugs combined with some uh, antibiotics that's had some promising results. We'll see. Maybe that could be deployed in, in three to six months in a sort of ready fashion, where even if you get the the, the condition, it's highly treatable relative to what it is now. Wouldn't overload health systems. Right, you have something like you could have testing wide of it, widely available. A lot of things have to be in play for that to be a, a result. Um, but that could be one, or they could be sort of slowly easing back into society, or maybe it goes away in the summer, like people suspect. I mean, there's just so many unknowns about this. But they tend to think among all of these factors, if one or two of them play out, a three to six month window where you return completely to normal is is very possible. That's no guarantee, but that's certainly possible. And so when you ask that, you're like, well, how do you, could you, could you, could you do a fight without a card with just two guys under limited conditions? You might be able to do it. I don't know if that's a good idea or not, because it's like, here, here's what you're up against. Okay. Let's say you can do it. Let's even say you can do it with COVID screening. So now you can say, Hey, we didn't have COVID-19 screening at UFC Brasilia. We didn't even plan on having it at UFC London or whatever. But we were able to get it for this April 18th fight. We're going to do it at UFC Apex. We're going to put it on pay-per-view. Maybe they'll put it even at, let's just make up something. They'll put it at a reduced price point, And there's nothing else going on. You have literally no competition in sports for one of the most important fights in UFC history. Number one, are you actually losing money if people don't have money at that time? That the government bailout to the average person is not, I shouldn't call it a bailout, but the government assistance at that point is not significant enough. Like people are like, oh, you should do a Patreon. Do I really want to do a Patreon when people don't have checks coming in? I don't know how smart of an idea that is. I don't know if I don't know if that's a good. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know, but I, I'm a little bit wary of it. Um, so that's one condition. The other one is again. Let's say you even can do it, even with COVID nineteen screening. What if hospitals are overflowing and it's just like enduring tragedy? Would that set the wrong tone? That's another one you have to ask yourself. A third one is if you're only going to put a one fight on a pay per view because it's the only one you can reasonably pull off. Are you going to lose money? Versus if you had it on a big card when it was properly promoted during a big fight week. Like, there's just so many unknowns here that I tend to think postponing it would be the best idea. Um, but at the same time, you know, who's to say that things couldn't turn soon enough that some of these considerations wouldn't be as much in play? You know, it's a, it's a hard moment. It's a hard moment in sports. I just feel like the prudence that the NBA showed and then some of the other leagues in, in subsequently following them was really the best way to go about it. And so I would delay it. Um, I don't believe in things like curses. I don't believe in things like magic. I don't believe in things like jinxes. You know, I used to believe, not believe, but I was kind of in the back of my mind being like, ugh, you know, maybe there is just this kind of inertia to losing. And the reason why I felt that is because all my sports teams sucked. You know, Wizards would get pretty far and then collapse. Uh, I mean, do I need to tell you about the Washington Capitals? How many times they got far and collapsed, you know, and, it, and then the skins are just, you know, they're, and they're, and the skins are still a nightmare, but it turns out if you have like a good organization and the Nats too, you know, how many times they had, uh, you know, people were pouring sh if champagne grew flowers, boy, all the teams who poured champagne on our territory would have, you know, grown a garden over there at Nats park. Um, but it turns out that stuff's not real, man. It's just not real. You know, it feels real at the time. It feels like there's something holding all this back. There's not. There's not. Uh, granted, this is highly unusual. And it feels like this weight of impossibility is just keeping this fight from happening. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I'm not. I used to be firmly convinced of that, that, that inertial weight. And I don't care anymore. 
I don't care at all. None. Zero. Zilch. And so, I, uh, yeah, I think delay it and it'll happen. I'm not worried. I'm not, I am not worried about that fight happening at some point. And, and I'll say this before it's expiration date, right? Cause I don't mean, you know, 40 years old coming out of retirement, that wouldn't be so great, but everything else, I, I think it'll happen. And maybe that's blind optimism, but I used to have blind pessimism and that didn't bear out any either. So who cares? Um, considering your various employment involves every aspect of you watching, discussing, analyzing fights, do you still find enjoyment in it, or does it all seem like work all the time? I'm curious to know if the 10 years or so, a little more than 10, you have been heavily involved with the sport, has taken some way, some of the shine for you, or can you still enjoy thing? Can you still enjoy things as a fan and turn the job aspect off? I don't know if I ever turned the job aspect off. I just realized I've got a really good job. Um. Yes, I mean, look, you know, they always say don't meet your idols because they don't hold up to it. If you really, really love something and you don't want anything to get in the way of that, like you really want to just keep this completely pure sense of your love of something, don't work in the industry. I'll say that, you know, oh my God, I love the New York Yankees. Don't work for the team because you probably will find out things about the team. And I'm not, I'm just making up, you know, Mets or Angels or Nats or whoever. You'll probably find out something about the team that you absolutely cannot stand. And that will affect your enjoyment of it. So, like, yes, there are parts of the industry you guys know. I don't like doing interviews that much because I think that a lot of times we have conditioned the fighters to not tell the truth. A lot of them are not used to doing media. Like, the conversations are not all that interesting uh, a lot of the time. And sometimes the interviewer and the media guy is bad, too. And I've done bad interviews that were my fault. Like, it's, you know, look, not everyone needs to talk to anybody else all the time, but... You know, if if, the, if all we're going to have are these, like, basically dishonest exchanges, then what is the point? Like, go talk to somebody else who wants to have a dishonest exchange with you. I don't. So that's that's one reason I've been kind of out on it. The other part is just sort of seeing the, you know, the, just the, I mean, this whole episode with this coronavirus has really shown you, I think, some character people, right? Um, you know, look, man, I've said it before, like, who doesn't want Khabib versus Tony to take place or... Um, you know, fights to have to look forward to or any kind of sporting event to look forward to on the weekend. Everybody in their right mind does. No one wants to live through this shit. This fucking sucks. Right? But I've seen people being like, oh my God, I'm so bored. I'm like, dude, like on your phone, you can get the Kindle app and you can start reading. Go get a book. Go take a walk outside. There are free workout programs. YouTube is filled with all kinds of suggestions about how to use your free time. Start writing essays. Look into work on home improvement product uh, projects. Like there's all like this this fucking tendency to be like someone feed me because I can't find ways to feed myself. God, what a lazy like worldview this is, you know. And yes, not you know, like doing what you know, living inside your home for two or three months is probably going to be real shitty too. And eventually, at the end of that three months, you're going to say, all right, maybe I've earned a little bit of this freedom to go. And have someone at that point provide entertainment for me. I mean, yes, you want people who are the best at providing entertainment to do that kind of thing. But you cannot live in a world where you're utterly reliant upon the outside world to, 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 to make your life have, not value exactly, but to make each day livable. I mean, my God. I mean, I just, I've seen people been like, oh my God, I'm, I've been inside for five days. I'm already so bored. Well, that sounds like you're a boring person. That's what it sounds like. You know, that, that, you, you don't have, you've never nurtured the internal skills and developed interests such that you can work on these things on your own. 
I haven't even started half the projects that I have in mind for this whole thing. And by the way, you're asking what one of those might be. I'm setting up another viewing angle so that I'm, all the time it's just this viewing angle, right, with the, with the books behind me. But I'm working on another one, right? It's a project I've just kind of not had time to do. You know, I've got a bunch of things in the house I want to work on. I've got so many books I want to read. I've got so many programs I'd like to watch, so many movies I haven't seen. And I hear people complaining. I'm like, holy fuck, about what? Yeah, I'd like to be able to go to my regular gym. I'd like to be able to go to the ATM without worrying about whether or not I'm going to get coronavirus. I'd like to be able to just do a lot of these normal things. And all that shit sucks. But, and I know I'm not even answering your question exactly, but um, you're asking me, do I, well, let me finish this point and I'll get back to your question. I just want to make this point because I've seen it and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Dude, life, your life every single day, your life is what you will make it, man. It will. It is what you will make it. Um, and sometimes bad shit happens to you and there's nothing you can do to you. And sometimes great shit happens to you and you can just surf the wave. And that's part of life too. But most days, dude, take it upon yourself. Have the personal responsibility and be a curious person. You had Dana White getting out there and saying, you know, I don't read books. And I put a video up, but I, I took it down because some of y'all were bitter. I'm going to put it up later. But I feel like right now you guys are looking for more fight content, so I'm going to put that up first. But the point being is, like, I don't read books. I don't like them. Well, I guess you can like what you want in this world. But here's just the reality. If you don't, It wasn't even just books he said he didn't like read, uh, reading. He didn't say like reading at all. You know, you, it's just not possible to be a fully informed uh, adult um, without that kind of a self-learning ability and, and, frankly, using reading as the best component to get there. Now, some people have dyslexia or whatever, but in general, that is quite true. And it just shows you, you can be wildly successful in terms of your finances in this life. And he has been. He's been an incredibly important and dominating force in mixed martial arts. And his uh, legend will live on certainly much longer than mine. But when it comes to um, you know developing a sense of culture and the, the things you learn about the world uh, as a consequence, about yourself uh, and, and relevant to this conversation, about social commitment, about um, you know, uh, moral boundaries... You know, you get these, you learn profound lessons by picking these up, right? They're the best teacher you'll ever have in your life. So, you know, all these people out there be like, I'm, I've been here five days, I'm fucking bored. It, it, that's, that's, not the, that's not the social distancing's fault. The social distancing is revealing a different fault. Now, um, has some of the being in the sport taken away some of the shine and the enjoyment for you? Yeah, a little bit, Sure. Sure, but to me, it's been a trade-off. Do I get the same level of pure fun and adoration of MMA that I once did? No. On the other hand, do I have a better job now than I'll probably ever have? Yes. And so to me, that's a trade worth making. Um, but I still love MMA. I still get goosebumps watching fights. You know, um, I don't have anyone to watch them with, but I've sort of found that like over time, I kind of enjoy that. I kind of wish I had someone else to watch them sometimes. But in general... I really enjoy that. So, yes, it's been a series of trade-offs, but I feel like I've had to give up some things. But in general, as a life, I've leveled up versus where I would have been otherwise. How do you think the hiatus on fights will affect Reyes' claim to an immediate rematch with Jones? Probably going to kill it. The longer that time passes, granted, you're not having the division turn over in that way, but the longer that time passes, I think a lot of that will go away. Still, all of that momentum behind Jan Blahovic stopped too. So maybe it's maybe I'm overstating things, but you know it's going to make things hard for probably both of them in certain ways. 
This is the best time to try out remote judges off-site from the actual fight. Yeah, you might just need fights. Uh, how many fighters do you think COVID-19 will retire? Obviously not because of health issues, but from the time away from the sport competing. My personal biggest worry is my man, DC. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's getting into some very speculative territory. I did read something, and I think the lessons here are somewhat inconclusive. Um... Which is, uh, let me see here, which is, I saw this story, and again, they're still researching all the effects of this, but I had seen that certain people, and I don't know if they're older people or not, but that 20 to 30% of their lung capacity never came back. I have to look up where I saw that. You know, here's what I'll say. This is, there's so many, you know, if we lose a year of time, which I don't, I really hope is not the case. I mean, fuck. Um... That would be that would be cataclysmically awful. But point being is um not because of the health issues, but yeah, you know, I, we just don't know a lot about this condition yet. We just don't. We know some, we're learning more every day. Um, but you know, whether there's lasting effects to it, I really wonder. There seems to be another there's there's some there's very, 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 very preliminary research indicating that there could be for certain certain kinds of the population. Uh, maybe it's just the older ones. I don't really know. Maybe it's the ones who had, you know, comorbidities prior to contracting the the virus. I don't know. But um, as, in terms of time off, I don't think it's going to retire anybody, but it might shorten certain timelines thereafter. But that really is a function of how long they're going to be off, you know. It's the ones, it's like the Tyron Woodleys who have been off for a while or looking to come back and now can't. That's the one I'm a little bit more concerned about. But again, dude, what if they, this thing they're working on over in China and France ends up being a really helpful weapon against all of this, and they can deploy it pretty quickly, and we're back to, you know, we're back to, we may not get Tony versus Khabib on time, but we're back to normal in two months. I mean, that would be great. You know, that'd be great. So, we'll see. What is this? Uh... people that you know all right there's a lot of silly people out there that's what i know all right look when you go to the gym what are your workouts like boy they have changed dramatically over the years huh what type of splits do you do push pull legs upper lower full body bro split uh, let's see. Well, it depends what I was doing. So more recently they have been, yeah, they've been a lot of push pull days. And then I would do, um, so I did a push. Yeah, I did. I did push days, pull days, leg day. How was the split push day, pull day, leg day. Oh, and then I would play with a bunch of stuff that went untreated during those. If I missed any sets, um, things I want to work on, like some days I, on the end of the weekend, I'd work on like forearm stuff. So I'd kind of play with the programming late, but yeah. So it'd be a three-day split, and then I would add a one or two at the end. Uh, if you guys know what bro splits are, it was how I grew up learning how to lift weights, which was Mondays are back days, and Tuesdays are chest days, and Wednesdays are arm days, or however you want to do it, where you just pick a body part. And it turns out that that's a really bad way to program because, for example, things like traps, they... Uh, and I work, I work traps all the time, but the, the, the traps can actually heal pretty quickly. They don't get, they can recover 
not not every muscle group recovers as quickly as the other one. And so if you program that uh, consistently, not necessarily every day, but sort of consistently through the course of a week, rather than waiting for one day, you can actually get more volume in in the course of a week and you can target it more thoroughly because the traps have like upper traps, there's lower traps, like you can get you can get a whole lot going there. Um, so that's a bro split. And most people just do bro splits. Like, oh, I'm going to come and do legs, you know, come and do. And I, and I had, I kind of bro split it up with my leg workout a little bit, but it was only because of like limited time to go. And, um, so I wasn't getting optimal splitting there. But then when I was doing powerlifting, I had someone making my, my workouts. I would just follow the, the regimen. And so that would be all over the place in terms of like, you know, uh, mesocycles and, you know, strength blocks and the whole nine yards. So. So yeah, I would say half, half broy split, and then half push pull split was kind of the way I was working it. Which again is not optimal, but it was you, you have to make do with the time you have, and you know, I'm also forty at this point. You know, can't do a whole lot. Thoughts on the news that various GOP senators sold off their stocks after getting a closed door briefing on coronavirus back in uh, January? Yeah, there were some indications that it could have been Diane Feinstein as well. Although I saw some recent updates to that. There's actually a couple of GOP senators and Feinstein whose uh, uh, stock selling um, has, so for both groups, was not, was pretty innocuous, but there's two of them, right? Loeffler and was it Barr, I think was the other one, who essentially got briefings in, months ago and then subsequently without any other real reason, um, in the case of Loeffler in particular, right? She sells a bunch of stock that would do poorly by virtue. I think it was hotel stock she had sold. And then she uh, invested in like like a Teleworks uh, software. <laughs> I mean, understand the level of like mendacity there, right? You're talking about not informing the public of an imminent disaster and then you're trying to profit from it. I mean, that is grotesquely evil and probably illegal too. Uh, whether or not it's, you know, and certainly I think both sides are capable of corruption equally. Um, whether or not it was both, I guess time will tell. But certainly for those two individuals, they got some splaining to do. What are some activities besides work you are planning on doing while spending so much time inside? Great point, or great question. As I kind of indicated earlier, I got lots of home projects I'm, uh, I intend to work on. Now, some of that will require getting supplies, so I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to navigate that. But I have some of the stuff I need already. Um, there's so many books that I've been wanting to just dive into that I haven't had a chance. Uh, I'm already through... Uh, one of them. I got two books on the pandemics. Now, one I've not even started, and the other one I have read. Or, sorry, the other one I'm about 70 pages in. I'll tell you the name of them now. Here's the first one, because I had the author on my radio show. Let me show you this. So this was the... F oh, God damn it. God damn it. Fuck. All right, well, hang on. So one, I'll just read you the title because otherwise it'll go off. One is um, The Great Influenza by John M. Barry. I have not started that one. That's essentially a telling of what, why it happened, what it all meant, and how it affected society. And then the other one I have just started is uh, called Spillover. Um, here, hold on. It's called Spillover, Animal Infections in the Next Human Pandemic by David Quammen. I actually had David Quammen today on my radio show. So why is that relevant? This dude in 2012, but he started research for this book in 2006, 
basically didn't look exclusively at these wet markets in China. If you don't know what a wet market is, these are these markets in China where they'll have all manner of different kinds of wildlife in these crates, you know, for purchase, not merely to have as a pet, but to eat or whatever you want to do with it, keep the skin or whatever, butcher it essentially. Um, but they'll have them live and they'll put them all together. And we're talking about animals that would not coexist in the same kind of um, space were it not for these markets. And um, in any event, they think, they think it's where the coronavirus came from, uh, potentially from bats from this wet market where you'll have them stacked in crates on top of each other. One will, you know, the urine and feces of one will drop into the other one and then that one gets butchered and then that gets ingested and then here we go. We're now off to the races uh, with this with, with various outbreaks. Um, although he, I asked him, I was like, do you think this is going to be a moment of, you know, uh, come to Jesus moment, so to speak, for these for the Chinese authorities and how they regulate these wet markets. Because I asked him, I was like, is this a cultural thing? And he's like, well, yes and no. The idea that this goes back, you know, centuries, that's a, that's a really important Chinese tradition, is not really true. Apparently, his research, and he talked to many, many Chinese scholars about this, is that it's more, uh, in certain cases, of prestige. Like, there's a prestige to be eating pangolins or, or um, you know, I don't know, bats per se, but the, the sort of these exotic animals that would otherwise be, uh, you know, beyond the scope of human um, uh, animal harvesting. And that the Chinese have basically not turned a blind eye, but just not done much. And then I think they, they realized at this point they can no longer do that. But the risk is that if you sort of outlaw it because it has a certain exotic feel to it, you could drive a black market underground. So you'd have to work with these people who are using this as a source of income. And it's a, it's a difficult problem to solve. Anyway, but that's not only a place where, um, you know, a animal-to-human viruses get transferred. He, the story opens with a place in Australia where you had horses all die and then the horse trainers died. And it turned out that it was from uh, potentially a fly that um, was carrying it and somehow got into the horses and the horses to the human. Um, so it's just, it's not necessarily just about these wet markets. Anyway, so I'm going to read those. I've got Ezra Klein's book. I've not started yet. Um, I'm reading a book on populism in America. It's not that great, but I'm going to finish it just cause I mean, there's a lot that I've got in terms of books to read. I want to get that second shooting angle set up so I can have a con I want to, I want to be able to do different looks for the videos on the other side of this room, the room is not big, so I have to be very careful with the space, but that's really what I want to do. So I'm working on that. Um, what else am I working on here? In terms of a bunch of home projects that I'm going to need to get into. I want to get better at using uh, Twitch. I asked you guys, oh my God, I got full, I got, I got four or 500 emails from you guys over the week about different content suggestions. I've made notes about all of them. I haven't gone even through half of the emails yet, so thank you so much if you sent them, but... I haven't gotten through them. So I want to get up to speed. Like if I'm going to get a Patreon going, I don't know that I will, but if I do, I want to get it going. If I'm going to get back on Twitch, I want to get that going. I want to figure out what the next content strategy is for this channel. Like to me, it's like there's so many things I could be doing, so many things, so many opportunities. It's crazy. It's crazy. And you know, and of course, beyond that, this is just personal projects. Like I'm going to look forward to time, spending more time with my kid. Took her for a walk yesterday with my old, my, my old Molly Pack chest protector. Like, you know, it, you know, oh, I've got, I'm so bored a weekend. Well, maybe you're just a boring person. Uh, let's see. I was listening to Jack Slack and he made a passing comment about the government not officially closing many businesses due to the fact that the insurance companies could be liable for things like lost income and whatever. Do you think this can be applicable here in the U.S.? It just seems odd to only suggest social distancing 
when the situation could get pretty bad if the majority of people don't heed the suggestion. I do not know what the insurance rules are. I know that, um, for example, a buddy of mine has a jujitsu school, and he said once for insurance purposes, if the school closes, they can't have their kids program that day. So perhaps I do not know. I do not know. I do not know. I, that, that is a question you should probably ask him. Hi, Luke. I just read Kareem Zidane's latest piece on Bloody Elbow. I may be dramatic, but what are the chances Endeavor is forced to sell the UFC or flat out goes bankrupt in the wake of multiple big events likely being canceled, postponed due to COVID-19? Well, that is very much getting ahead of ourselves. The UFC is uh, very much a moneymaker for them, right, with how much contracted revenue that they have. So I would not worry about the UFC per se, Endeavor had the failed IPO and then pulled out 300 mil to pay back to people, celebrity investors, as well as other folks inside Endeavor who were waiting to make money off the IPO, if you believe the reporting, which I think in this particular case I do. Um, and they've paid out, according to the most recent report, they've paid out 129 million of that 300 so far. So we'll see how that goes. I could see Endeavor getting into various issues, but the UFC is like a strong, a UFC is does well. It's doing well. There's no, say it out loud. Like the UFC is a very successful business. They're really doing well right now, which is good. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you have to be able to learn how to like classify and, and separate the arguments. Just because I really disagree with the UFC strategy to go ahead with shows in the middle of a global pandemic doesn't mean I get to say that all of a sudden everything about UFC is bad. Far from it. There's good people that work there. Um, they're massively successful historically and then especially right now. Uh, I don't think that the man in charge, uh, a lot of his uh, worldviews I share, um, and I don't think that, that particular strategy was and remains very, very bright. I think it's actually not great. But, uh, you know, you have to learn how to be able to say things like that. Like, well, you know, I may disagree here, I may not like that, but let's talk about some of the other realities of the business that are good. Dude, they're doing well. Endeavor, I cannot imagine them getting let go of what I think would more happen if it ever came to this. And we are wildly speculating at this point. If they ever got so bad, they could file for bankruptcy, but then they w there's you know different kinds of bankruptcies where one where you just liquidate your assets, and then one where you get your debt sort of structured in a way and that you keep things that are very valuable to you to help you to generate revenue. They would keep it, the UFC, in that particular consideration. So, I mean, that's the, and even that is just... You know, way, 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 way out in front on all of this. So, I, you know, let's chill for a bit on that. Got my vitamin water player. It's pretty good. Charles Oliveira told Bisping after his fight that he is gunning for a title fight. What do you think? I personally feel he needs to get at least one or two more. Probably two more. Probably two more. This, I think this fight was the first time he got put in, did he even get put into the top 10? He was outside of the top 10 before this. Uh, yeah, he's eight now. Yeah, you got some work to do. You got some work to do. As a post-McGregor uh, Rousey MMA fan, could you describe what Strikeforce was like before the UFC purchased them? Yeah, it was Bellator on steroids, basically. And then Pride, you could say, was that on steroids. I mean, Pride was truly something special. And Strikeforce was too, man. Um, Strikeforce was too. You know, it, How do I explain it? You know, Look, the UFC still was the predominant mixed martial arts force by a mile. 
right? And you have to understand something too. There's a lot of like revisionist history about Strike Force that I would consider good. And here's what I mean by that. At the time when like Strike Force was doing its heavyweight Grand Prix, you know, you had Fedor and Bigfoot Silva and Josh Barnett and eventually Daniel Cormier and some others. I think Overeem was in it and whatever. There was a big belief at the time that, I think Verdun was in it maybe, that these are just lesser fighters. They're not as good. There was a lot, there was a big debate about whether Strike Force fighters could come over to the UFC and win. And because, you know, you had Lawler who had done really well in the UFC and then gone to Strike Force. And Lawler had done well in Strike Force, but he was not sort of the dominant force and like the. Uh, he was a hardcore fan favorite, but he had not quite captured fully the imagination, I think, in the way that he did in his second UFC run. He's got a lot of different runs. Like the first UFC run when he was coming out and just blowing the doors off people like Tiki Gosen and blah, blah, blah. That was great. And then he got triangled by um, Evan Tanner. And you were kind of like, eh, we'll see how this goes. And then Nick Diaz knocks him out. You're like, well, he's too junior. And then he goes on the sojourn and he, he looks pretty good and he eventually comes back to UFC and then he becomes a champion and he really was sort of dialed in at that point was this vicious marauder. All the bad things about him, he had gotten rid of most of them and all the good things he had kept. That wasn't exactly the case during his strike force run. And of course, you know, Nick Diaz was a, a big time favorite, but um, you just saw people diminish what they were doing because it wasn't UFC at the time. And then when UFC purchased them, and brought everyone over, and they started beating the shit out of everybody. Your Tim Kennedys, your Jacques your Luke Rockholds, your... You know, Verdum had fought in the UFC before. But, you know, second stage Verdum and, and everything in between. And then Daniel Cormier. You know, how many people ended up being uh, champions in UFC who came from Strikeforce? So many. I think it caused a lot of people who were around at the time to be like, whoa, maybe we kind of undersold Strikeforce. Like, I remember when Strikeforce announced their heavyweight Grand Prix... And a lot of people like poo-pooed it. And now looking back on it, you're like, yeah, did it go off without a hitch? I don't know what MMA tournament ever goes off without a hitch. But um, a lot of the coverage of Strike Force now is fairer to it than the coverage at the time. But um, I'll, you know, I don't want to. I'm not sure how much I can say. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to say anything. But. Okay, I can't, I can't, I can't. Suffice to say the following. If you've, if you've got Fight Pass, you should go on there and just check out some of these events, you know. They're just, they're just incredible. They're truly amazing. So, um, at the time, even then, it was a bigger priority than Bellator is now. I mean, Bellator is getting no favors done by the zone. I mean, what a, what a dead relationship that has become. Uh, that was not the case. Showtime did a great job selling those fights. Um, they did really, really good. They, they had a whole like show XC for a while, you know, um, they had a whole thing going on, but the point being is, um, even then it was a little bit undersold. It's only now people are like, Whoa, strike force was really good. The, the, the tenor changed over time, which I think is an important correction. But when having lived, in fact, it was one of the things I told myself about Bellator. I was like, I'm not going to, and I made the mistake too. I'm not going to cover Bellator with the same level of unfair skepticism that I covered Strike Force with. Uh, I'm just not going to do that. So, um, 
Thoughts on Dana White's recent comments saying there isn't much he can't pull off. He was referring to whether it's UFC 249 would happen or not. Well, he's, look, I mean, technically speaking, he's kind of right, right? Let's think about this for a second. Does he have innumerable television uh, resources virtually? Does he have good relationships that he's, that he's earned? with commissions across the United States and internationally to, to the extent that that's relevant? Yes. Does he have a, a huge roster of talent from which to pull to produce content? Yes. Um, does he have a production workforce and a staff that has been essentially conditioned to deal with disaster even on a regularly planned schedule? Yes. Does he have essentially logistical capability to a fairly strong degree with the resources that they built. Plus they built apex, which they now have total control over, but not, not now, but I'm saying uh, now that it's built, you know, they've got their own, they've got their own vertically integrated infrastructure. Um, yeah, dude, they're really good about that. They're they're The, the UFC machine is very, very nimble and it, they, you should be able to say that like they've done a really great job at that. To me, the question is not merely can you, although that is relevant, right? I mean, at some point, if the measures that either local, state, or federal governments take to combat this problem, it might, it might literally be impossible, right? I mean, we're not dealing with ordinary circumstances here. Um, on the other hand, let's say even if he could find a way to kind of pull it off, it leads me back to some of the things I had said previously, which is, would you be sending the wrong message if people are like just dying in droves? Would that be bad? I mean, I hope it never comes to that, but let's say that it does. Is that a good idea? What kind of price point are you going to charge if you can pull off a one fight thing? Or, a, you know, if you have to put it on Native American territories, are you missing an opportunity to just wait and do it bigger later? Like, there's a lot of really complicated questions. And then on top of that, it's like, dude, can you do effective COVID 19 screening? And I don't mean like take it and you get a results five days later. I mean, four hours later. Quick, 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 quick turnaround. Can you do that? Um, and if you, if you cannot do that and you cannot provide other means, the question is not whether you can, probably he can. The question is whether you should. The question is what you believe you ultimately owe to the sport, what you owe to society, what you owe to society's most vulnerable people that are counting on the, le the lesser, the least vulnerable or less vulnerable people to do in terms of not spreading this condition. Um, and what moral commitments do we have to each other? Th th these are the central questions. And this is what I mean when they're like, well, you know, you saw Graham Boylan say this and you saw Dana White say this, like we are, we've been in compliance with government regulation. Now, obviously things are a little bit different in the UK, but in terms of the standard they've upheld, and let's just focus on UFC if that makes the, the process simpler. Dude, the UFC is very good about staying in compliance. They have a clear compliance oriented business. Um, you know, if the tests have to get done for the things the government sets out, they've done them. And that's actually important. Why? Because historically, the government standard was one that good promoters had to rise to uh, and that bad promoters tried to run from, right? Bob Arum somehow managed to have the reasonability to cancel the Shakur Stevenson fight last week. But, you know, he was also a guy who went commission shopping after New York. I said this on Tuesday's chat told him that Margarita wasn't going to get a license. You know, this is this is working within the means to make this kind of thing happen. But but yeah, like as it relates to that, dude, UFC has, I mean, who could argue otherwise? UFC has in every way been in compliance. No one would suggest otherwise. But the issue is that in terms of 
government guidance on best practices related to COVID-19, the government is in every single way, every day, state and local and federal, playing catch-up. They don't have best practices related to COVID-19, and public health officials are clearly telling you, dude, doing these kinds of activities, if not fights in particular, things much less interactive, uh, even if there's no audience, are terrible and terrible. And what if you begin to spread the disease and the disease spreads through a gym and then a family and it hits someone vulnerable? Like, there's moral culpability there and there's social responsibility that's involved, dude. It's just basic. It's basic. Y'all don't think I want to go somewhere else? I'm fucking locked here. Not like locked, locked, but, you know, can't do a whole lot. It's not the point. Not the point. Not the point. The point is that you have to, you have to consider the broader social implications of it all. And, um, and so, yeah, could he do it? Probably. The question is, is like, is it ethical? Legal, maybe. Possible. Yeah, probably. Ethical? No. Uh, what is your take on the ongoing list of allegations against Tyson Fury from Wilder's camp? Well, you know, first of all, they got their own agenda there. Uh, first was, of course, the absurd costume excuse. Then it was the uh, accusation that Fury's gloves were not correctly applied. And now there is something about a failed drug test that, so far as I can tell, carries no weight on any level of love rumor. Something about a boar meat? I, honestly, I've not looked into this one. I've been kind of focused on everything else. I've not looked into it. But it sounds stupid. But who knows? Maybe there's something to it. I, I, look, I've not looked into it. I couldn't give you a good answer. You always mention BJ in his prime being one of your favorite fighters. Could you do a retrospective deep dive into just how amazing he was when he ruled the 155-pound division? So a lot of you guys have asked me to do d different kinds of dissected stuff, right? I've got one. I've got two of them coming. So one thing I'm going to start doing is just my favorite fights and like why they are my favorite fights, what they mean to me and what stands out to me. Um, the first one I'm going to do, i got to figure out exactly how I'm going to do it. But the first one I'm going to do is Diego Sanchez versus Carl Parisian. What a fucking fight. Just in every way, what a glorious moment that was. I'm going to do one with you guys for that. I'm also going to do one on one of my favorite fighters who was not, it was not bad, but it wasn't great. Uh, it was Hidehiko Yoshida in Pride. Why? 92 gold medalist in judo. He was a big deal in Japan, obviously. But he would fight people in the gi, in MMA. He wore a gi. And he was good at it. And I've always said, I, you know, I don't think all MMA should be in the gi. I, don't, I think that would be bad. But I think one guy having a gi, or even both guys having a gi, or one person having a gi and having it used against him. Could you imagine if you beat someone uh, with a bow and arrow choke? Now, I think a lot of Hidehiko Yoshida's rules were, there was rules about what his opponents could and couldn't grab. But, uh, but you know, you talk, you, we, we always talk about uh, the Ezekiel choke of, uh, what you call it, of um, uh, Olenek. You know, if you just grab the inside and then you roll here, this is it. So if I come here and I roll, this is your Ezekiel choke, right? That's the Ezekiel choke. He would do it with the gi constantly. Or he could have anyway. I have to go back and look at some of the stuff he was doing in particular. But I love that. I love the innovative spirit of that. Like you guys want, you talked about like the fan in me. I'm going to bring back the fan in me a little bit for things that I personally just love as a fan. Without respect to what's going on now, and I'm going to look back at some of the stuff that I know a lot of you probably were not watching MMA all the way back in the in the aughts, in the, in the, in the early to mid-aughts, um, and there's a lot of cool MMA from that time. Very, very different to see how the games have changed, and you know, I think in many ways for the better, some ways for the worse, but uh, so I'm going to look into those two next. I'll add BJ Penn to the list because many people have asked, hey, 
Why was he so good back in the day, dude? BJ Penn, when he was the king of the mountain, was the was the motherfucker of all motherfuckers, dude. He was the guy everyone was like, oh. you know, it was him, Fedor, and Anderson for a time before even GSP really got going. And and to me, him at his best at 155, he was just compl- in his very very peak. He was completely unstoppable, even in ways I don't consider Habib to be on. Like Habib's offense is so dominant. But in terms of, like, what happens if he gets cracked or blah, 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 it's like you already knew the answer with BJ. Like, rock chin, couldn't be hurt, lights out takedown defense, stiff jab, world champion black belt. He was the fucking man. BJ Penn was the man among men. He was amazing. He was amazing. You just can't believe how far he's fallen, you know. But at the time, just unbelievable and his legendary battles with Henzo and Rodrigo and um you know he was just so he was so awesome it was it was a delight to watch him truly I mean that if Tony Khabib happens will you watch I don't know I don't know watching combat sports is your job but you have been very vocal about the UFC's uh unethical approach and attitude to the coronavirus situation in the US yeah I don't know I don't know I did not here look man I'm not out here to make some kind of moral stand where, you know, I'm going to start fucking protesting outside of their business. But given what I knew what they weren't doing and given what I felt like in, in conjunction with what every public health expert was suggesting, not having any kind of, in any real way, screening for COVID-19 while going about your business there. And then again, just putting them on a plane back to, you know, with other passengers to go get it, potentially. It wasn't like I thought to myself, I'm going to fucking make a stand. It was, bro, I don't feel comfortable. And I don't I don't live in a world, I can. when it comes to coverage on the weekends, I make my own rules. I don't have to do those YouTube videos. I don't have to live tweet. I don't have to do any of that shit. I, I choose to do all that. I thought it was shitty, and I didn't want to do it. And I didn't feel comfortable doing it. And if you felt differently, or if other media members felt differently, you got plenty. Of, it wasn't like, what was I denying you? It was a fight night card. I don't really do... Post fight shows for fight night cards anyway. Wasn't gonna stop anything, but I don't I don't you know, look, man, being your own boss, let me give you a bit of a heads up. I'm not fully that way because you know I got deals here and there, but to the extent that I can control my own work, yo, it's the shit. It is great. I don't have to eat shit <laughs> in the way that I did in all the other jobs I had previously. I get to say what goes. I didn't feel comfortable doing it. I didn't like what I was looking at, so no. Who knows? By the time that fight comes around, we'll have to evaluate it at the time. It's not some principled thing like, I'll never do it. I never cover cage warriors anyway, so nothing changes about that. But, um, you know, it wasn't like some fucking grandstand. Just, I didn't like it, and I'm my own boss when it comes to my YouTube stuff. So I didn't put it up. Simple as that. Simple as that. So we'll see. I don't know. But you say it's my job. Well, it's my job for morning combat, so I'll give morning combat what they need. It's my job for my radio show, but I have extreme latitude with that. If I don't want to cover it, my boss doesn't make me. So you say it's my job. It's like, well, sort of. My job in what way? My job is a job description. My job is not written into the contract. You have to cover UFC Brasilia. And because I have latitude, that's actually not even really true. I, I choose. By and large, I choose. And to the extent I have choice, I'm going to do things that I want. And I'm not going to do things I don't want. And it took a, I'm 40 years old. It took a long time to get here. And I love the feeling. Let me give you let me give you great advice. Having the ability to say, I don't want to do that shit 
for whatever your reasons might be, is fun. It's nice. Me gusta. More book recommendations. I can't even talk about books. You seem like a guy who rarely delves into fiction. It is a blind spot for me. So what are your favorite books of fiction? I am not a great resource for this. I am very, very bad. I admit this is a very big blind spot for me, but I just, I always seem to find one more nonfiction, one more nonfiction, one more nonfiction. I don't seem to find the fiction ones um, that capture my imagination. That's unfortunate because it shouldn't be that way, but it kind of is. Uh, let's see. Is there another one besides the ones I'd recommended that I'm reading? I haven't got to those yet. Um, I think the ones I gave you for today are fine. Oh, wait, what's the other one I, I haven't started yet? There's a bunch I haven't gotten to, man. There's so many. Library. Uh, let's see. No, it's probably fine for right now. What's the craziest thing you've seen from a media member that was covering a UFC alongside you? I nearly got into a, I nearly got into a fight at a Kim, was it Kimbo versus uh, Shamrock? One of these fucking clowns in front of me wouldn't sit down. You can actually see it on the, one of the camera things they put out. Me and this dude in each other's face. Um, <laughs> uh, fuck. I mean, Bellator, God bless them, but they put VIP right in front of media. And they put a they put like a chain, or not a chain, but they put like a fence in between. And so when the media, when the VIP stand up, and these guys are all drunk and then dressed like the biggest you know club D, club D bags you've ever seen in your life, you can't see. And you're like, oh fucking, you can't see cage side. Well, dude, again, what's my job? My job on that particular evening, if I'm sitting cage side, is to look there and report. If I can't do that, then what the fuck are we doing? So UFC doesn't do that mercifully. Um, but that was, uh, yeah, so I had to get in that dude's face, and, you know, we had we had it out a little bit. Um, I've not seen too many crazy things. They're pretty tame people, to be honest with you. Everyone's busy the whole night. Um... This is an interesting question. Can you give any pointers on building and maintaining discipline? Whether it be in training or in life in general, it always seems like starting something is much easier than maintaining over an extended period of time. Sometimes I feel military service would have been helpful in that regard. Yeah, I mean, the, the answer is this, and it takes practice, and it takes failing multiple times. Fail, failing um, when you're trying to maintain uh, discipline, disciplinary habits is uh, really a very powerful demon you should fight because it is such a satisfying feeling that it allows you to, it gives you license to do it again, right? Each one kind of builds on itself in that way. It's like once you do that, you allow, um, you allow that comfort to be familiar. And once it becomes familiar, it becomes acceptable. Right. And so, uh, 
So here's what I would say, and this is really just this is what anybody who's ever been any kind of disciplined actor in their life, whether it's an athlete or a businessman or whatever, you have to learn to put yourself in a. And, and, and we all struggle with this. It's not like I've got it all figured out, but you have to you have to be able to tell yourself the following, and it has to be true. If you commit to something, I'm going to read a book, I'm going to build some shelves, I'm going to bike ride 100 miles this week, whatever it is, right? I'm going to run a mile. Maybe, maybe that's, that maybe, you know, everyone's got, you're, you're behind on your fitness and you want to make some, some changes. Whatever it is, whatever the goal is, it doesn't matter how lofty, it just matters the following. Once you set it, you have to really, you have to just commit to the idea that um, there's a, you have to have a, first of all, you have to have a process. Right, so here's the plan. Plan is I'm going to ride 10 miles this day, 20 miles the next day, 15 miles the next day. This is the plan. I've got all the time. So, like you, so part of it is, you know, obviously identifying, um, you know, high but attainable goals, uh, creating a process that is clear and achievable and direct. Right, having a roadmap to get there. So there's the goal. There's the roadmap. But what what really is the glue that holds it all together is if you commit to this by a certain timeline or whatever it is. Whether or not you want to do it on the day in which you're supposed to contribute towards it is irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. (laughs) Look, there are times in our life where pumping the brakes is fine, right? Burnout, things like that, illness, you know, mental health reasons. There could be all kinds of reasons to pump the brakes. But the reality, you have to just, once you have accepted this, everything becomes much easier if you're gonna if you're gonna read a chapter of a book a day, let's call it that, yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if four chapters in you don't want to read chapter five. It, whether you want to or not is irrelevant. And what you might find is that early on, you're you don't get as much out of chapter five as you did chapters one and two because you haven't you're you're distracted and you're kind of forcing yourself through it. Those are just growing pains that will go away over time. As you get better about realizing that your level of interest at the time in which you're supposed to do something, um, you know, whatever that may be, when you realize how irrelevant that is and how that should not be your motivation and what your motivation should be is um, just, you know, the getting through the process of incremental progress, whether or not you love the feeling or not, that is how you achieve. That is how you get to a goal. So this idea of like, you know, yes, you do want to find things and you want to try things that are going to be less costly in terms of that, right? You want to, you know, you want to create as much friction as you can. You want to make it smooth, but it doesn't matter how smooth it is. And this, this is what a great job this is, but the reality, and sometimes I take my foot off the gas too, man. Like we're all guilty about it, but, um, if you have a plan and you have a process and you're sticking to it at each stage, if, if it calls upon you on that day to do that thing, you just do it. And you're like, man, this just fucking sucks. I don't fucking want to do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to. I don't want to be engaged in this. You have to learn how to quiet that and push through it. And even if you feel like that when it was all over and you got nothing out of it, you have to do it again the next time and again the next time. Relying on interest alone to accomplish a goal usually will not be enough. What it will require is a realization that there is a way to have, be committed to a process. That has nothing to do with how much you like it. And once you get to there, well, then you have you have unlocked the keys to the kingdom, friend. You can do anything at that point.
It does not matter what you want to do. What matters is what you have said you were going to do. All right. It is my fault. I should not have turned on the fucking ads, but I did because uh, I'm an asshole. So I'll get to them now. As the strangle squad hashtag, oh, I cannot see this. Fuck. Here, let me actually, you know what? I can do this. Hold on. I can post it somewhere else so I can read it. As the Strangle Squad hashtag fight boat circles the anime social media space, what do you think the likelihood of Khabib Tony taking place is over international waters? You know, I would say low, but, and I'll still say low, but you never know, man. Someone says you're going to take my money and like it. Not, not next week. I can't do that. Uh, Steve Chauvenic says, you ever listen to any of the uh, Metal Apocalypse albums? Cannot say that I have. Top three biggest pet peeves. Um, the sound of people chewing and eating. The sound of people swallowing. Hardcore. I, it makes me want to take a shovel to their face is one. Two, uh, I'm impatient. So like people who are slow to like, you know, at the bank, at the ATM, and they're just fucking hitting buttons and they can't figure out what's coming or going or in traffic. They're just like, just, you know, moseying around or just not fucking dialed in. That kind of shit drives me nuts. Um, it's another pet peeve. People who are just are not very curious about the world. It's like, oh, did you see that cool article on blah blah blah? No. Have you? You know, what's your favorite book? I don't read books. <laughs> uh, you know, just that kind of shit. Like you're just not engaged with the wider world around you. Just I think is craziness. But you know, everyone's got their own. Everyone's got their own weirdo stuff. Uh, all right. How do you think the future economic landscape will affect pay-per-view and ticket sales? I mean, this is such a hard question. It's a great question, but as funds become strapped, less people will have means to attend events post-virus. It really depends on what kind of bailouts the government provides to small business. It depends on what kind of assistance they provide to the average person. It, I mean, there's so many factors. I really hope it is. I th I'm hoping that we can get back to something resembling normalcy, but... I would not count on. I mean, I don't know. I don't. It's just so complicated, y'all. I mean, we're not even. They haven't even passed legislation yet. It's a. It, you're 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 absolutely right to wonder about it. But I'd be dealing with so many hypotheticals. I could not come to any kind of reasonable assessment. The situation sucks, but Kung Flu is a great name. Yeah, I suppose if you're uh, in the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, got a twenty dollar donation here. Thank you very much. Dana is obsessed with having Khabib Tony. I think we all are. Dude, who doesn't want to see Khabib Tony? I mean, it's like we all are obsessed. It's just at some point you have to, you have to just realize we've got bigger fish to fry at the moment. Shouts from the lockdown in Bar Barcelona, Spain. Man, Spain's going to get fucking crushed. Have you guys seen the uh, numbers over there? <laughs> Dude, they had they tested all the players at Valencia like coaching staff and shit. 35% of them had it. 35%. In your opinion, will these fighters ever hold a belt again in their respective divisions? McGregor. Uh, he's got two to play with. I'll say yes. Dillashaw, no. Woodley, no. Max Holloway. Uh, yeah, Max might. Max might. Max has got some abilities. 
As a gaming nerd, do you name did you name Barbus after the Elder Scrolls character? First of all, I'm not a gaming nerd. I don't even have a console or anything. Secondly, uh, I apparently I found out that there's a Barbus. I think they might have spelled it differently in this Elder Scrolls game. No, I've gone over it again. Bar Barba is how you say beard in Spanish, and we just realized it sounds like Bar Barbara. So just to make it a little like different, we call him Barbas Barbus. Because that's technically beards, plural, but it's just a little bit, it, it just sounds a little bit less like Barbara. Why so dismissive of Islam Makachev? I don't think I am. I personally believe that one loss was a fluke to uh, Adriano Martins, and I think his skill set could evolve into being a better version of Khabib. A better version? I don't think so. But yeah, he's a force to be reckoned with. I'm not sure where, I've, where, where you got that impression. I mean, maybe I said something I don't remember, but yeah, he's, he's super talented. The nickname for the generation of teens and kids living through this I've been hearing in the last couple of days is Coronials. <laughs> was this a once in a century event? Um, ordered Guns, Germs, and Steel per your recommendation. Recently read The School of Life Emotional Intelligence by Alain de Boiton. I'd recommend. I have all of his books. Um, by the way, I had a I had a academic reach out and say that uh, guns, germs, and steel is not a good enough recommendation. In fact, they didn't like it at all. Although it did win a Pulitzer Prize, so understand that. But uh, let me let me see if I can find it here. Hold on, and I'll read you the book that they recommended. I won't say this person's name. Blah 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 blah. blah. Jared is a pseudo-anthropologist. He promotes Eurocentric, heteronormative views of the world implying that white European men created and will save it all. Bad science, this person says. So instead, you should read uh, Monogamy and Other Lies They Told You by Augustine Fuentes. He, they said, that's legit social science and will get you started. Monogamy and Other Lies They Tell You by Augustine Fuentes. So there you go. Keep that in mind. Will we adapt a blitz spirit like World War II Londoners? Well, we're not being bombed. Is your dislike for the Dallas Cowboys purely for humor or do they really stink? I, I, I cheer for the Washington fucking Redskins. Fuck the Dallas Cowboys. What, what kind of question is that? Does Kevin Lee have poor submission defense or is it really more of a cardio issue? The two are connected, but I would say if he had full energy, he's much better about it. I work in a grocery store, and it's madness where I live. It seems like no one is staying home. Anyways, I appreciate the content. Um, you know, it's hard to uh, get people to, to do it, but one thing I'm trying to do is, because um, it can be expensive for people, but I'm trying to do it, just, you know, because I'm, I'm saving my money elsewhere. I'm using, like, you guys ever use Instacart? I don't know if everyone has that app. It's an app where you can order, and then people will go and grocery shop for you. Um, now the key there is, you know, people are putting themselves in harm's way to shop for their groceries for you. So my view is if you're going to do that, and this is why it can get expensive, they charge on top to get a cut and you can tip the person. If you're going to do it, you must tip them really, really well, really well. I mean, really well. So you got to be careful what you're going to buy, you know, and make sure you buy as much as you can in bulk and that kind of a thing. Um, because these people are doing this for you, you know? 
So we had a guy come through. I think our bill was like 107. You know, I'm not even just bragging about this because I don't think this is like, oh, it's really commendable behavior. This is what I think you should be doing. I threw him a 50 spot on top because, you know, these guys are out there. I mean, they're literally putting themselves in harm's fucking way, you know. So shouts to everyone out there who is working and shouts to everybody out there who's working in grocery stores, whether you're shopping for yourself, an elderly person, someone who ordered it for you because you're trying to make some money on top. And if you use one of these services, for the love of God, pay on top. Pay on top. Give these people money, dude. That's the least you can do, man. It's the fucking least. Do not be a cheapskate and keep, you know, five. Oh, I'm going to give you five bucks for a $100 order, man. Don't do that shit. These guys are out there literally risking their health to bring you this because they need money. Fuck that. Pay them. Pay them well. Give them some cash, man. Um, people use the phrase, you have to beat the champ to be the champ. And this is why judges' decisions often go in favor of the champion. How can one make the statement if the basis of a judge's decision is supposed to be objective and based on the fight in front of them? Well, first of all, this person paid 100 bucks for it. So the answer is, I wish I had a good answer for you, man, but I don't. Except to say... People just kind of believe this. They kind of tell it to each other. It sounds intuitively true to a little bit, or it sounds intuitively appealing. Yeah, yeah, you should probably just beat this guy more than just, you know, get kind of lucky or something. Um, but the reality is, once those people enter the cage, neither is really champ at that point. One has a title, one doesn't. But really, the, the point is, it doesn't belong to anybody. Um, but it's just a really bad kind of word of mouth Um urban legend thing that just won't die unfortunately it just won't die i know it's not a great answer but it's kind of the truth uh have you observed bigfoot silva's recent record i have tried not to pay attention because it's i know it's not good news best path best path forward for johnny walker stay in the gym for a little while and then dial it back and work back up Speaking of old fights, how do you think Hughes versus Silva would have played out when it was being talked about around the Ultimate Fighter 2? It's interesting. You know, Hughes would have gotten him down. Hughes had, I mean, Hughes had vicious ground and pound. And he could pass guard. He was really good on the ground. Um, it would have been competitive. It would have been it would have been more competitive than Silva saw in. Um, although... I mean, that was very competitive, right? I mean, it would have been more competitive than uh, Silva Son in two. Well, with informative content such as yours, I hope it is, don't you think it's possible for a non-reader to be more knowledgeable and cultured than someone who reads, which could mean fantasy fiction? Well, I'll say the following. There's a lot of different ways you can learn, right? Some people are much better um, learners visually. Some are better learners from an audio standpoint. Some are better learners um, experientially. And it's true that you can get lots of good information in a lot of different ways. However, pound for, it, it's hard for me to believe that you can truly achieve cultural literacy in a real sustained kind of way without commitment to reading, especially reading books. I just, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm going to say for the vast majority of people, that is easily going to be the best way to do it. And it's a little bit more time-consuming. I don't think as quite as entertaining as other methods. I mean, I prefer to watch videos in some ways sometimes than to, to, to you know, crack open a book or a, a paper or something. But the level of specificity and detail, even while being, you know, using an economy of words, is so much greater than any other real uh, alternative. 
Um, so, so it's true. Use a wide variety of ways to teach yourself. But on the other hand, recognize that some methods are going to be overall, for most people, better. Um, tips for losing weight. There's going to be a million people on earth better than me. So I recommend you listen to them instead. Highest fight IQ in MMA today. Izzy and Volk and why? Uh, Izzy is high. Volkanovski is super high. Um, again, you define it, John Jones is high. Uh, the ability to make meaningful decisions in the course of a fight is sort of the way I, I think about it. Um, and, uh, you know, you just sort of look at their body of work. I think it speaks for itself. Is athleticism the most vital aspect in MMA? No. It's vital. It's not the most vital. Seems like it can offset almost everything. No, quite the opposite. How unrealistic is sport BJJ now? Well, it might Sort of. I mean, there's a part of it that has really gone its own direction um, that is very distinct from MMA. But at the same time, um, how unrealistic is it? Unrealistic to what? Like street and altercations? Like jiu-jitsu now is so much better than it ever was. I mean, no one's going to be using barambolos necessarily, but um, the level of of detail in jiu-jitsu now for street altercations is so high. Uh, but about the athleticism part, athleticism can be incredibly helpful, but it's not, a f you can't fall back on it. You can use it to boost other traits, but you can't really rely on it if you don't have those other traits. Not for very long, anyway. You looked so offended when you read the gaming nerd super chat. Did I? I didn't mean to. Sorry. If Canelo fights Triple G at the end of the year, how do you see that fight going down? Well, Triple G's has gotten older and hasn't looked super, super great in his last few fights, so I would kind of favor Canelo. Here, my dogs. Thoughts on Khabib talking to his opponents? It has to suck. Should Liverpool be handed the title if voided? Yes. If the, if the season is voided. What do they have, a 25-point spread between them and Man City? Just give it to them. What will happen if a fighter tests positive in the UFC? You mean for uh, coronavirus? You know, it's not like the NBA, where the NBA you have this top-down leadership structure, and these guys are employees, and they're all being tested, and then those test results are being made public. I could imagine there's going to be already guys who have had it who aren't going to say anything or don't know what it is, or maybe they had mild symptoms, right? You can be totally mild in certain cases. Um, so I don't know how often we're going to hear. I suspect we are, when it's all said and done, are going to hear about... Um, different cases but i don't think it's going to be as clear an indication as it would be from other teams like in the nba if tony ferguson beats nurmagomedov how do you see a super fight between him and jorge masvidal going down jorge might piece him up you know i mean tony's tough but he, he takes um he's hittable and jorge is very much a sniper with good all-around game and he's big not huge but he's bigger so I favor Jorge in cases like that because of his ability to sort of be a sniper there. All right. I uh, appreciate everybody watching. Please give the video. Let's do this. All right. Put that on. Please give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. I got some videos that are coming your way. Maybe not today, but this weekend. And I'm working on that. Um, stay tuned. Stay tuned. I'm working on that. Uh, I might do it on Twitch. I already have a Twitch account. I think I'm the Luke Thomas over there. But I, I might do that Diego and Caro thing over there. I've got to figure out exactly how I'm going to do that, but that's coming soon, really soon. So 
Um, stick around. Should be a lot of fun. All right. Thank you, boys and girls, so much for watching. I certainly appreciate it. And until next time, stay frosty.